over two and a half million viewers tuned into Nitro's debut episode. The initial broadcast of Nitro, from just a ratings point of view, was considered across the boards as a pretty good success. We put out a pretty good product. I knew that we pulled a couple big surprises out of our hat. It looked different. It felt live. We made a lot of news. There was a big buzz on the show. I strongly suspected that we were going to be able to build on that success. And welcome to Where the Big Boys Play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, as always, in this chronicling of the WCW's 90s heyday is Dave Amantorp. Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, I didn't mention it last time, but I really like the Nitro theme song. It's pretty rocking. Yeah. It really gets me in the mood to watch some wrestling. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, and also the 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 video of the exploding like manhole covers, yep, and the exploding nitro. There's just gonna be so many explosions. It's gonna be intense. And and last week, uh, they just had the debut show, as you heard in the intro. And I think, I mean, they were saying like a lot of people tuned in, mm-hmm. and I think it went about as well as they could have imagined. Absolutely, I, they were thrilled with the success of that first show. We thought it was a pretty good show. It certainly was a good contrast to what WWF was putting on at the time. So every reason for WCW uh, and Eric Bischoff to feel uh, as confident as he said that they were in that uh, opening segment. Today is one week later. It's September 11th, 1995. And today we look at Nitro's first ever direct head-to-head competition with Monday Night Raw. Monday Night Raw is back from preemption and these two juggernauts of wrestling are looking to square off yeah and and from last week they have a really big match that they set up i i thought it was really good that they had like not only did they have their debut show but they were giving fans like a big reason to tune in again it's like lex luger just came back he's gonna have this big title match you're gonna miss out and Mm -hmm. so they the the new viewers that they got that aren't typically wcw fans they, they gave him all the reason they could possibly want because uh, they also have uh, Scott Norton and Randy Savage. They, they set up a second Nitro really, really well. Yeah, we get, we get four matches tonight, and all of them were uh, previewed or, or promoted on the, the first episode. So mm-hmm. we've got Sabu making his debut against Alex Wright. Yep. We were teased with Sabu last week. We've got uh, VK Wall Street, who we saw a promo for last week. Mm-hmm. We've got Scott Norton who came out last week and had his confrontation with Randy Savage. And we've got the Luger-Hogan match. So yep. every single match that we see was promoted on the last show. And that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll certainly see over time, now that they're producing weekly live television, if they're able to keep that much forethought in their booking going forward. Right. 
Yeah, and then we uh, also got to see the first for the first time the Nitro set. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah, because obviously last week was in the middle of a um, the Mall of America, so they didn't have that whole getup. Uh, so you get the the giant WCW like logo signs on both sides, mm-hmm. and this is I mean it's it's essentially it keeps the same look for a while. I and what I, do you think of the the stage? They've got kind of a nice huge uh, lighting rig where the uh, participants walk out through, mm-hmm. which is really cool. The announcers are in kind of their own little staged area with a lot of lights and branding all over it. What did you think? I, I like it. I think it's um, it's not very large, uh, except like the, the letters are. I mean, you, you, they really... Um, they really branded it very well where it's like you're obviously anytime from any like camera angle, you're seeing WCW mm-hmm, or you're mm-hmm. seeing the nitro logo or something like that. So, you know, you, you didn't like accidentally tune into raw or something sure. like that. Uh, and that, and also I, I don't know how long this goes on, but then they have the, the see-through ring. Yeah. The ring apron uh, has a nitro logo where the letters and some of the, the border around the word nitro are actually like of a clear plastic. And then they've got lights under the ring. Mm-hmm. So it, you kind of see under the ring and it's lit up down there. It's really cool looking and really uh, does not look like any other wrestling program that I've seen. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And I don't remember it very well, so I don't know how long they go. I don't that. even <laughs> think it's, I don't think it's very long. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, the other thing I want to say, they certainly use a lot of pyro. Yes, uh, in this and and uh, I thought that was you know that's fun. People, <laughs> it it really gets down to a uh, base human in, uh, love of entertainment. Just there's things exploding and mm-hmm. bright lights and it's fun. It's it just creates a fun atmosphere for the show. Yeah, things exploding is like one of the main themes of Nitro from the very beginning throughout the whole show. It's like. Uh, it's like it's directed by Michael Bay, pretty right. much. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Especially like in the mid '90s too, because you had uh, like Con Air and The Rock and stuff like that. So that's like in Michael Bay's heyday too. So maybe they were, who knows, if they were capitalizing on that, or maybe it was just the uh, Bishop doing what he could to spend as much of Ted Turner's money as he could. <laughs> Very well, could be. So there were three thousand one hundred eighty-three paid fans for a gate of twenty-eight thousand. And then a number of comps were given out to get up to a sellout of 5,500. So they've got a pretty full building, but a lot of those are people that got in free. Mm-hmm. Still a pretty decent house for a company that's uh, on the upswing. Certainly isn't really on the top right now. But wrestling in 95 was generally a, a depressed industry. So mm-hmm. not too surprising there. Bischoff starts the show by hyping the card. He describes Luger and Hogan as the match of the century, which may be overstating it a bit, but... I also think in the history of Nitro, that's not the last time you're going to hear that. (laughs) Uh, This is also the point where Mongo has his first uh, memorable quote of the evening where uh, he tells us, Ladies and gentlemen, get on the edge of your seat. This is the biggest thing to hit TV since the little old lady said, Where's the beef? Well, it's right here on the WCW. That got me really excited. (laughs) Honestly, I, I... it might be because he just makes me laugh with how terrible he is, mm-hmm. but I'm Mongo's starting to grow on me. He's like a fun <laughs> kind of terrible, yeah. and it's really clear as you watch the show that he he's not really clear 
on who any of these guys are or what the storylines are, except for what's going on at the very top. Mm-hmm. You know, he they don't really seem to think it's important that he stays informed about the product he's announcing. Yeah. Well, and WCW is kind of notorious in general for keeping their announcers out of the loop of what, what right. they're going to be seeing. Which is weird because the person sitting next to him is the guy that has all the information. Eric <laughs> right. Bischoff, he just feels like he doesn't have to fill him in at all times. So Bischoff in a in a wonderful, very 90s uh, collared shirt, or, or I, I don't know what the banded collar, you know what I'm talking about, where mm-hmm. there's really no collar, but it's kind of like a, almost like a dress shirt with a little bit of a turtleneck. Yeah. Very 90s. And Mongo is wearing one as well. And I mm-hmm. think both were wearing them last week. So they're really, really into yeah. that particular 90s style. He tells us that Vader has not filed the proper paperwork to participate in the uh, War Games match at mm-hmm. next Sunday's Fall Brawl pay-per-view. Uh, he was supposed to be a part of Hogan's team taking on the Dungeon of Doom. But as we mentioned, uh, he was being let go by the company at this time for a backstage fight with Paul Orndorff. Mm-hmm. So this is how he's being written out by... A very exciting, not filing the correct paperwork storyline. Nothing is more exciting than <laughs> filing paperwork. <laughs> and he he also overly emphasizes A W O L. Yes, he, did. <laughs> he really does. <laughs> that was that was like uh, it must have been on his bullet points of like uh, things he had to say during the show because he mentions it quite a few times. And I was I I kind of felt like they did a pretty good job of bringing it up as though it was like a regular storyline. Yeah. Like, are we gonna get an update on Vader recent or 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 what's gonna happen with him? Is he eventually gonna file the paperwork? We don't know. What are your thoughts in general? Um, I mean, we joke about it not being exciting. But what are your thoughts on in general on wrestling storylines that involve uh, co- uh, contracts or legal documentation or anything like that? Uh, typically I'm not a big fan. I mean, one of the more notorious things that people like to do are the official contract signings, uh, for big matches. I mean, if it's, that's kind of what you're thinking of. Yeah. Well, it just always to me, and it's kind of in a fun way. Like it doesn't Mm -hmm. make sense, but it's one of the things about wrestling that makes no sense that I really enjoy. I like that sometimes you need to sign a contract for a big match. Mm -hmm. And at other times, Teddy Long can come out and say, all right, player, you're defending that title belt right now. (laughs) And nobody had to sign a contract for that. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I I really love when they play fast and loose with the rules of who needs to sign what, when, and for what match. Yeah, because I I think this week will be the only week in the history of pro wrestling in which someone has to file proper paperwork to join a team. Right, (laughs) I, I, I don't if if there's an, another example of that that's ever happened I've never heard. Of well, it. I'm not familiar with WCW, so maybe that's standard. <laughs> and I don't know a lot. I, you know, I know what a War Games match is, mm-hmm. um, and maybe we could talk about that a little right now because we're not going to cover the pay per view itself. So, right. for anyone that doesn't know, a War Games match is they've got two rings side by side. They surround both rings with a cage, like a Hell in the Cell type for for WWF fans, um, except for it's around two rings, and then the match starts with one person from each team and then every i think two minutes uh another person comes in and they flip a coin to see which team will uh have the first advantage so it'll be two on one and then two on two and then three on two until all five people are in the ring Mm -hmm. uh or all 10 i should say five from each team and only when all 10 people are in the ring can elimination start and then uh participants are eliminated by submission or pinfall Uh, and i believe this one's actually going to be four on four Oh, you're correct. Um, yep. You're and they they might all be that. I'm not sure. Yeah, that could change. I I don't know. I mean, 
wrestling is notorious for changing the rules per year, depending on how many guys or like the amount of time or anything like that. But in this case, it was going to be four on four. And Eric Bischoff is making the point that right now it's going to be three on four this Sunday at Fall Brawl. Yep. So it'll be a, a Dungeon of Doom team of four people. And then Hogan's team is down to just Hogan Sting and Randy Macho Man Savage. That That's another thing when you're talking about like these technicalities and stuff. Uh, the, 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 the stipulation was going to be if Hogan's team wins, Hogan gets, I think, five minutes with the Taskmaster. Yep. They're going to put the, the leader of the Dungeon of Doom in the uh, War Games structure with him. And mm-hmm. he will just get to... Uh, beat him up i guess yeah but i mean the taskmaster is also a professional wrestler you could challenge him to a match anytime you want to and hogan will have just been gotten done with a match right so anyway fall brawl is coming up next sunday and we'll certainly talk about the results when we cover next week's uh monday nitro Mm -hmm. Um, but that's kind of the setup for this episode is hogan's uh trying to find out if he can find a fourth person or how will the dungeon of doom capitalize on this situation that's kind of what we're looking at in terms of our main event picture. But as we mentioned earlier, there are four matches on this uh, card, and it's a one-hour show, so we got to start cramming matches in here. So out comes Sabu, the debuting Sabu. Yeah, he had a, a nice video uh, the week before showing that he, he's crazy. He go, puts people through tables. He's going to play by his own rules. Uh, as a lot of people know, he is from uh, Extreme Championship Wrestling. Uh, had recently wrestled there and had some of the bloodiest hardcore matches you could possibly imagine. So they were trying to kind of hype that up uh, for him when he showed up, including Bobby Heenan shouting a declaration that Sabu had been suspended in 17 countries. (laughs) 17 countries. I don't know if there's 17 (laughs) countries that you could put on a professional wrestling show in. I don't know that there's that many countries interested in pro wrestling. <laughs> I mean, it's probably 17 and America, so he's been <laughs> suspended and all the other. Uh, so, yeah, he was uh, in WCW at this point due to a dispute over money with Heyman. They were on the outs. Paul Heyman, uh, who was, of course, the owner and booker uh, of Extreme Championship Wrestling. So he's here in WCW. Um, he's coming. I don't know because he. this is his debut match, but he is taped up on his shoulder and he's clearly favoring his hips. So <laughs> he had a match somewhere that was one of his typical hardcore <laughs> matches. Cause he's looking pretty banged up, <laughs> right? But he comes in to face a young German second generation wrestler named Alex Wright. Yes. Das Wunderkind. Alex das Wright. Wunderkind. Who's uh, his kind of gimmick is that he's a young, naturally gifted wrestler. Um, mm-hmm. that, Cause his dad was, was a famous wrestler, Stephen Wright, um, who toured around America. Um, Long, long ago right and uh he comes out to like shitty techno music and kind of does a dumb little dance but he's a baby face he's a good looking mm-hmm. good looking kid yeah and he's I, a pretty he's an exciting wrestler too he seems kind of bland but when he gets in the ring i i'm really impressed by alex Wright. yeah uh back in the day i was a really big fan of alex Wright. um like you said he no frills I don't think you can find a lot of like actual interviews with him right. or promos as you will. But I, I really liked him for uh, being just like a really like just young, talented, acrobatic. Uh, I kind of feel like that he, because he, he showed up probably about a year before WCW gets a lot of cruiserweights and mm-hmm. starts their cruiserweight division. Um, so I, I, I always 
like to look at him as kind of uh uh, a pioneer or a guy that sure, they were sure. able to have that was established already. You know how they had like Jushin Liger, but he was only there briefly. Right. Um, but, and Alex Wright also has the distinction where uh, the very first wrestling show I went to, um, the very, it was a WCW house show in 1994. Yeah. And the very first match I saw was, that uh, was Alex Wright versus uh, Jean-Paul Levesque. I like that you list that as a distinction, like it might be on his Wikipedia page. Well, I was the put, first wrestler that Dave Amontorp saw in person. I could put it on his Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Sabu also has a wrestling legacy as he is the nephew of the original Sheik, who people will know uh, as a legendary wrestler uh, from the Detroit area in the territorial days, who um, was just one of the, like Dave said about Sabu, one of the most bloody, I mean, his matches were bloody, bloody affairs. So it makes perfect sense that that's where Sabu sort of got his training mm-hmm. uh, and all that from. So this match uh, come basically comes down to Sabu trying to get over what type of wrestler he is. He he does a bunch of crazy offense, moonsaults, um, planches, launching over the top rope. Mm-hmm. He keeps uh, Alex Wright on the outside with a baseball slide and then sets up a chair and runs and jumps off the chair for kind of a spinning kick, what Jeff Hardy would later call the whisper in the wind. Yeah. And uh, But Alex Wright moves, and he hits the guardrail with his leg, and then looks like he hits the back of his head on kind of the foot of yeah. the, the metal guardrail outside the ring. It looks really painful. Yeah, I, and I didn't remember so much when this uh, show actually happened, but Sabu looks pretty rough, just in general. Oh, like yeah. Every, well, like I, mean, I said, he clearly has a hip injury. He keeps grabbing his ass during the match. Mm-hmm. And like not like he's selling. He's doing it from the first move of the match. Yeah. Um, he looks like he's in a lot of pain. And he's bumping like crazy. Mm-hmm. And the announcers are kind of selling how crazy he is. Yeah. But I feel like they're underselling the amount that this guy is killing himself for our entertainment. Mm-hmm. And the fans, the, WC, the ECW fans might go nuts for Sabu. But they've been kind of trained for that type of wrestling. Yeah. These fans have no idea what they're looking at. Right. They they really don't seem to give much of a shit about mm. about this guy who's just killing himself in front of them. Yeah. Um, Alex Wright does uh, one particular thing was that he was in the corner and I think he was in the corner. Like uh, Sabu ran at him and Alex Wright did a flip off the turnbuckle. Yes. And immediately grabbed in and did a German suplex. Yes. I mean. It was a really fantastic move. The back, because he, yeah, he backflips and lands behind Sabu on his feet. Mm-hmm. And then, as a German, for him to incorporate the German suplex into his repertoire right. fits really well. That was uh, probably my high spot of the match for sure. That was yeah. a great looking little sequence. Uh, the ending comes pretty soon after that. Um, I'm not sure what the name of the move that Sabu hits at the end is. I'm not sure he like totally hits it either. So yeah, he kind of rough. he's uh, he's got Alex Wright on the top rope. He jumps over him and sort of hooks his legs under Alex Wright's arms, but only one of them really hooks, and it just turns into a lazy pin. It's yeah. really awkward, but he yeah. wins the match. He gets the one, two, three with uh, a lot of aerial offense. The crowd yeah, kind of reacts. They're not huge on it. But then Sabu continues to attack Alex Wright uh, and goes and gets a table, which this is uh, September 95. This is not something that WWF or WCW fans are going to be used to. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of cool. You can, for seasoned wrestling fans, you can clearly notice when he lifts up the table and kind of 
is moving it into position. He, you can see the bottom of the table. It's pointing right at the camera. And you can see how the center of the table is like pre-broken. Yeah. Um, you know, at that time, the audience probably wasn't looking for that kind of thing. So who cares? But mm-hmm. I thought it was kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, Mongo makes uh, more than a few jokes about being a buffet table uh, that no one else really picks up on. And it doesn't really seem like he knows where he's going with that right. himself. So he puts a, he positions Alex Wright on the table, goes to the top rope, and then jumps down and kind of does a flying clothesline to put Alex Wright through the table. Um, but he really hurts his own shoulder because after that yeah. move, Alex Wright is like lying on his shoulder, and you can see Cebu say something to him and just push him off of his shoulder. <laughs> uh, this causes the referee to reverse his decision at this abhorrent violence in front of him. Uh, so Alex Wright is declared the winner by DQ. The crowd boos because I think they're just really confused at this point <laughs> as to what's going on. And this ending, uh, I think it's designed to help Sabu because he's so crazy he doesn't even care if he wins. Yeah. But it just makes him look like an idiot, which is kind of common in Sabu's career that he just ends up looking sort of stupid. Mm-hmm. And it certainly doesn't help Alex Wright yeah. that he won a match because he kept getting his ass kicked after he lost legitimately. <laughs> So it, I thought this was pretty poor booking. I, yeah. I didn't quite understand. And I don't also, understand why in his debut match this is how you would handle it. Yeah. And there's also just kind of a weird moment where the two are laying on the ground, unable to move, and Alex Wright's techno music starts playing <laughs> to no one dancing. So this match, yeah, it was it was pretty rushed. Uh, Cebu hit some impressive moves. Alex Wright hit the most impressive move in the match. But mm-hmm. ultimately, um, I just don't think that Cebu's shtick is going to work in this setting in this particular time period i'm certainly could be proven wrong but given my rudimentary knowledge of ecw and wcw i uh, if he had a long and illustrious wcw career i think i would have heard about it yeah um i also feel like this match kind of reflects uh the pillman liger match last week in that it it seems like they started off their show with two people that probably haven't wrestled a lot of matches with each other yeah. or at least recently. Um, so there is a little bit of uh, a lack of chemistry between the two. Yeah. There's one moment I remember where uh, Sabu's on the ground and Alex Wright sort of just walks over to him and like talks to him a little bit <laughs> and then just let Sabu stand up and sort of walk into the corner. And it's, yeah, it's very clear that they're having, they're having trouble communicating. Mm-hmm. That brings us to our first commercial break. And uh, as we come back from commercial, Mean Gene is in the ring, and he brings out Ric Flair uh, for the following promo, which I'm going to play for you now. Nature Boy, I got to tell you something. Last night I was over in South Beach. You were styling, profiling, moving, and grooving the paparazzi, the beautiful women, and now at Fall Brawl, Arn Anderson. You know, Mean Gene, the only thing missing at South Beach last night was the fact that Double A, my running mate, my main man, and my best friend was not at my side. Conspicuous by his absence, I'm told today that Double A was back in his hotel room calling his wife and little boy. Instead of running wild with an ancient ball, we used to be like Joe Montana, the pretty boy. He was Lawrence Taylor, the killer. We ruled the world. There was no path in life 
that Arn Anderson couldn't walk because he was at my side. This was the symbol. This wasn't the Four Horsemen. This was the symbol of excellence. This was the show. And Sunday, oh. Wait a minute, gentlemen. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Lex Luger, the total package in town. And you know what? One thing AA always said was, Nate, Hulk Hogan's driven you crazy. Well, Hogan, look what you've done now. Look who's here. The total package. 6-5. Lex Luger. 275. 22-inch arms, 60-inch chest, the total package. Hogan, tonight, the package takes control. Right, package? You know, Rick, some things never change, do they? You are too much. Oh, and I'm going to stay too much. And tonight, Hulk Hogan, you go down to Lex Luger. Thank you very much, Ric Flair. Still to come, Hogan and Luger collide. All right, so I I thought that was a really solid promo up until mm-hmm. Lex came out, and I I don't know if it's true or not, but in my mind it seems like Lex missed his cue and came out too early, because Nature Boy was just about to promote the fact that he's actually got a the whole promo is about Arn Anderson, mm-hmm. and he's going to promote that he's got a match against Arn at Sun uh, at Fall Brawl on Sunday, but that's the moment that Lex comes out and interrupts, and the crowd starts cheering for Lex's appearance. And it completely buries what Flair yeah. was trying to say about him having a match in five days. Yeah. Um, the, the thing I liked that I noticed right before the promo started is that the there's the fans outside. Uh, the fans that had the WCW mm-hmm. three-piece sign mm-hmm. and turned this, the W to make it ECW. Yeah, um, that was pretty clever. They have yeah. yeah, they sort of sneak a way of having an ECW sign in by turning the W, uh, the first W and WCW sideways. So it says ECW, <laughs> yeah. cheeky uh, bastards. <laughs> I was like, clever. <laughs> um, also, right away, he he insinuates that Arn Anderson is a, a wimp or a pussy because he's at the hotel calling his family. <laughs> right. Yeah, This we talked about it a little bit last <laughs> week. They're doing a storyline right now where the four horsemen are breaking up because Arn Anderson is becoming too much of a family man. And somehow <laughs> right. this makes Arn Anderson the bad guy yeah. in this feud. <laughs> I, I don't know if the original idea was to have uh, Flair be the bad guy, and when it became clear that crowds just weren't going to boo him against Arn Anderson, that they just called an audible and kept the same bones of the story, yeah. but had Flair be the good guy because that's just the way the crowd decided it. Yeah, that would see, that would be a better explanation as far as, like, why is he picking these points, Right, you know? Uh, or maybe he's, maybe he's like, because Arn Anderson's role the whole time in the horseman has always been do stuff to help flair. Mm-hmm. And he's probably like the nerve of you to be doing something for yourself and your family besides the, for a, furthering my career. Like, how dare you? Um, I also like that Ric Flair, uh, compares himself and Arn Anderson to Joe Montana and Lawrence Taylor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, two guys that clearly never play for right. Miami or the Miami Dolphins. Right, and two guys that don't <laughs> seem like they would have hung out with each other off the field whatsoever. <laughs> right. Uh, what I really liked is when, when Luger comes out, Flair starts talking about how Luger is going to defeat Hogan, and uh, Flair, Flair refers to Lex just as package <laughs> instead of the total package, which I think is great. He just says, you know, package is going to beat you, Hulk. 
tell him package. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny to me. And then, so Lex, as you heard, he says, uh, you are just too much. And then you, you, you're not able to hear this on the audio uh, podcast, of course, but Lex just says that and then fucks off. He just <laughs> jumps out of the ring right. and walks away. And, and Flair doesn't have a problem with it. Right. Flair just kind of finishes up yeah. his promo, and uh, and that's the segment. It's so bizarre. And and one more point is when Luger's there, Ric Flair is super obsessed with his vegetables. He goes on about like, yeah, this is this is the size of his chest and his arms and his and his legs, and he's just like really into like these. And he he like gives specific numbers too. Like, yeah, he personally measured him beforehand. I'm guessing that the point of this was to get over that Lex is kind of a tweener because Flair is sort of being, mm-hmm. he's a face in the feud with Arn, but he's sort of being a heel because he doesn't like Hogan. Um, so it's, he's kind of walking the line. So I think by uh, Luger sort of aligning with Flair they're they're just saying that Luger is not necessarily a baby face, but he's not necessarily a full heel. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be a common theme for Lex Luger as we go through the next uh, few weeks yeah. and months, I, I, I believe. Uh, so our next match begins with VK Wall Street coming out. Of course, as we talked about last week, he was originally Michael Wall Street, but now he has undergone a name change. Dave, what do you think that VK stands for? Because <laughs> Bischoff is really curious and trying to figure it out. He yeah, can't he... understand why he would change his name to VK Wall Street. And he asked Bobby, and Bobby pleads ignorance as well. No, Bobby Heaton says, well, you have to, you have to ask him, but you have to make an appointment first. <laughs> Uh, so obviously they're going for Vincent Kennedy of Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Yep. Yep. Uh, so it's a little shot at Vince, I guess for being rich, which I don't think Vince is going to really take as an insult. And it's an odd insult considering that he sees in Vince's eyes, the competition is himself versus Ted Turner and Ted Turner is a million times richer than he is. Right. So to make fun of him for being rich is baffling. (laughs) I also really like how Bobby Heenan, Bobby, I mean, whether he cared about the character or not, he was just selling the shit out of VK Wall Street. Yeah, he really he, was. He, he has some he, good he lines. Just, he must just really like that kind of character because he has this, like all these lines about, uh, how, like he's like, I don't care if he wrestles. I want to find out how the the stocks are gonna do tomorrow, right? And, and stuff like that. And and also they say that VK Wall Street is from Wall Street. Like yes. that that is his. That's where he lives. He's like those senators that sleep in their office so they can talk about how they never leave Capitol Hill. Yeah. Uh, So VK Wall Street's opponent is going to be Sting. And as Sting makes his entrance, Eric Bischoff uh, does a very calculated move to dig at the heart of WWF. I'm going to play a clip here from the WWE Network uh, show, The Monday Night Wars. You're going to hear Eric Bischoff talking about the, the move that he made, why he made it. And then you'll hear reactions from Vince McMahon, Rowdy Roddy Piper, and The Big Show uh, all talking about uh, what he chose to do and sort of their take on it. I work for the people that pay me. And when the guy that pays me says, I want you to make this company number one, I will do whatever it takes to make that company number one. It doesn't get any better than live! And needed to take advantage of the fact that I was a live broadcaster that WWE was taped which gave me a great idea one day. I thought, okay, people don't know what's going to happen on my show, but we can tell them what's going to happen on the competition. You know, what better way to get the audience to stop channel surfing than to tell them everything they're going to see on the other show? Hey, by the way, 
In case you're tempted to uh, grab the remote control, check out the competition, don't bother. It's two or three weeks old. Shawn Michaels beat the big guy with a super kick he couldn't earn a green belt with in a local YMCA. Stay right here. It's live. It's where the action is. It was dirty pool. Once it began to give our results away, it was painful. It was like, well, anyway, that's, that's a rotten thing to do. You don't have to do that one. But he was trying to hurt us. And my business philosophy is try and help yourself, you know, as opposed to hurt the competition. The WCW, in the first five minutes, would try to give away all the results of the WWE. That's dirty business. Bischoff was throwing a billion dollar company, and if you ask him now, he'd tell you he was a prick man. I love doing it because it just pissed so many people off. You know, the wrestling fans, they were outraged. Oh, Eric Bischoff, what an ass. How could he possibly do that? That's horrible. Da, 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 da. And the more they complained, the more, the more I did it. I, I, okay, so as you heard there, Bischoff decided that he would take advantage of having a live show competing against a tape show by spoiling the results of WWF's Monday Night Raw, which was... Uh, they would be live occasionally. And in fact, they'll be live against Nitro, I think, in two or three weeks. Um, but but they would normally, uh, more often than not, their shows would be taped as a cost-saving measure. Uh, to go on the road and produce live television every week is, is very, very costly. Um, Ted Turner had the money to do it. Vince didn't quite believe that he did at this point. So Dave, what do you make of that? Do you think it's dirty pool or do you think it's smart business or is it both? Um, I... Honestly, I I was I feel like it was more just like an insult thrown at Raw. I I don't really I don't really believe that impacted the ratings. It doesn't seem like it would. Yeah. I mean, for one thing, it's a passing comment that you could have just missed it if you weren't paying attention. Um but I I felt like it was also really reflective on how Eric Bischoff felt the first Nitro went mm -hmm. because the first Nitro he was like nope don't say their name mm -hmm. don't mention them but then they had such a high rating such a high response that now he probably feels like he has a little uh, a little bit more leverage with Nitro so then he was like oh well why not just give this away I mean that's a thing you could do right uh, I because Eric. The impression I always got with Eric Bischoff is that he's going to try anything to see if it works. Right. For me, I, I don't think I would have a huge problem if he did it once or twice um, as a way of getting his getting in the news, having the people on the Internet just erupt in anger. But but talking about Nitro, they would be you know, that would really get people talking and it would highlight the fact that their show was live and Raw was taped and. Even at that point in its infancy, the internet still was a potential spoiler for any wrestling fan who just could go and learn the outcome of these tape shows. But Nitro, you had to actually watch mm -hmm. to see what was going on. So doing that once or twice, I think, is just smart business. But WCW infamously really shot themselves in the foot uh, by announcing the results of a particular Raw. Um, but that's pretty far out in the future, and we'll we'll get yeah. there eventually. So um, ultimately, I don't think it was necessarily a bad move, but they really overdid it, and they they paid the price. Mm -hmm. So Sting and VK Wall Street, yeah, they have a match. They certainly certainly have a match. Uh, it's it's fine. Yeah, I just think VK Wall Street, uh, formerly IRS, is one of the most boring wrestlers mm -hmm. there is. He's so. 
I felt kind of bad for him when he came out for the match and he was wearing a suit and tie because IRS wrestled in like a button-up shirt and pants and a tie. And I thought, oh, man, he switches to WCW and he still has to wrestle in a goddamn tie. Yeah. Um, but by the time Sting is out, he's in a singlet that just has dollar signs on it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of weird that they're they're openly acknowledging that he was IRS, but now his character is that he's rich. They're acting like it's the same character, but the IRS wasn't a rich guy. He was just, he wanted you to pay your taxes. Yeah. So it's like they've sort of merged him with the million dollar man into one gimmick, mm-hmm. um, which I guess makes sense because he, w- he was in Money, Inc., the tag team with Million Dollar Man. I don't know. It just seemed really weird that they're like, hey, you know exactly who this is, but now you have to pretend like he's rich. You either acknowledge his past or you act like it's a new character. It seems very weird to do both mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah, and and also like I was saying before about Bobby Heenan really liked the character. He was he sold the character a lot better than VK Wall Street. Did. Right. Uh because I mean there was this promo from the week before was really boring. Mm-hmm. You know, considering he had like the, all these little shots at WWF it's still boring. Right. And his wrestling's also boring too. <laughs> yep, and he loses to Sting after a flying uh, crossbody off the top rope. Mm-hmm. So here is VK Wall Street. He's not sure what his own name was, and he sucks. <laughs> so way to debut a new character and get him over, <laughs> WCW. I, I predict big things for VK <laughs> Wall Street going forward. Also, at some at some point, uh, Bobby Heenan's at, uh, Mongo McMichael's talking about his friend Reggie White. And Bobby Heenan asks if his brother is uh, Barry White, and it just goes completely over <laughs> Mongo's head, which is from last week and for the weeks to come, a common theme that Bobby Heenan is sometimes just too witty Yeah. for Mongo. He just he was like, no, well, maybe. He, maybe he's his brother. I started to touch on this last week, um, but I didn't kind of follow through with my thought that Bobby Heenan has a reputation for really phoning it in in WCW. And I think what it seems like to me after just watching a few weeks and seeing other WCW here and there over over my lifetime is he came in guns a blazing, the same fantastic Bobby Heenan he always was. Mm-hmm. But the level of people feeding him the lines, yeah. you know, Bobby needs somebody to feed him. And Bischoff can't do it. Mongo can't do it. Shivani can't do it. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, his talent... It just it, I think he goes limp eventually because he's just got nothing to play off of. So he gets really bored, and he'll he admits as much, you know. Yeah, later um, later on the for pay per views they'll have uh, Dusty Rhodes. Yep, as well, and uh, Dusty Rhodes and Bobby Heenan worked pretty well. But I, I think at that point it was kind of a little bit too late for for him. But yeah, exactly. He needs. Uh, I mean, like Gorilla Monsoon. Yeah. was like the perfect uh, sounding board for him. Like he always gave like the proper reaction to his ridiculous comments or, or telling him not to be biased towards Ric Flair and stuff like that. And everyone else is just, they, they, they don't really understand uh, that it's like a two way street when it comes to Bobby Heenan. Mm-hmm. Moving on in the show uh, after a commercial, we've got Scott Norton, our big mysterious bastard from last week coming out. He is one barrel-chested motherfucker. Yes. This dude is built. He, I mean, the word, you read barrel-chested or you hear that term and you don't really, it's hard to visualize what that is. When you see Scott Norton, you're like, 
I get what barrel chested means now. Yeah, you get what it means now, and that you've never seen it before until you've seen him. <laughs> he is a former arm wrestling champion and one of the many wrestlers to come out of the Minneapolis area. Go, uh, go Minnesota. Woo. Um, he wrestled in Japan before coming over to WCW. We last week talked about it being his debut, but what I found out today in doing a little more research and reading, he'd actually debuted in 93 for WCW and had a feud with Sting, um, but he just wasn't getting over, and so he disappeared after just a couple months hmm. um, in the middle of 93 and was gone until the premiere of Nitro. So it's more of a reintroduction of the character. So maybe that explains a little bit why they weren't explaining who he was. Maybe they were relying on WCW fans to know who Scott Norton was. Um, so, so maybe, maybe I was a little hard on him last week mm -hmm. because I didn't understand the context. I didn't know that actually some of the, at least some of the fans, cause he feuded with Sting. He wasn't just a complete nobody. Yeah. So it makes a little bit of sense. Yeah. And Scott Norton, uh, he has this attitude where he wants to be fighting with like everyone at all times. Right. As soon as he comes out, he's fighting Macho Man, but he he's challenging someone in the stands. <laughs> yeah. He's challenging uh, Mongo McMichael. Yep. Uh, and, and then, well, when, when we get towards the end, then he's trying to fight like pretty much anyone else that's in the ring. Right. So he has a match uh, against Macho Man. You'll remember that they had a little confrontation last week at the Mall of America. So here's a match to settle it uh, once and for all. I was going to say once and for all, but really they had one argument. Now they're having a match. <laughs> right. uh, so this match really gets over the power of Scott Norton. It's all power moves. It's mm -hmm. all... Big slams from him, huge clotheslines, uh, a power slam that was really that looked really good, yeah. and it all targets Macho Man's back. And really, from the beginning of the match, the announcers do a pretty good job of selling the story that Macho Man's back is seriously hurt. Bischoff does a little bit of what would uh, only later be known as the Owen voice, uh, <laughs> where he talks very seriously, oh. uh, like he's like, "Hey guys, I know that this wrestling thing's all kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, but <laughs> Macho Man, I think he's really hurt out there." Well, and then they later uh, they, they just go way over the top where yes. they're like he's not moving his extremities right. I think his back's broken when he when he's crawling like towards the ropes using his legs right um, so it's it's pretty much Norton completely dominating until Macho Man starts to stage a little bit of a comeback and then mm -hmm. things get pretty goofy yeah out comes the dungeon of doom you've got Kamala you've got the shark Mm -hmm. uh, who Bischoff refers to as Avalanche, which was his prior gimmick. Yes. That he had to change because WWF sued them because it was too similar to Earthquake, which he, same character, John Tenta, uh, he portrayed Earthquake and Avalanche, now known as the Shark. Uh, so they're, they're out, they're starting interfering in the match, or they're going to interfere in the match, I should say. Scott Norton bumps into the Shark, who then collapses unconscious on Scott Norton's legs, allowing Macho Man to hit the flying elbow from the top rope. And then the referee decides to count the pin, despite right. the fact that a, th a third party is lying on the legs of one of the competitors. Yeah. It's one of the, it, it's one of the most insane referee decisions I've ever seen. Yeah. He can clear. It's not that he can't see it. Mm -hmm. There is a 350 pound man <laughs> laying across the legs of another competitor. And not only that, Scott Norton is like one of these new names that they wanted to right. pump up. And despite the fact that like, obviously he lost because this giant guy landed on his legs and he couldn't defend himself from the elbow drop. The, the announcers just like, just bash him for it. 
They they say that Scott Norton blew it in his opportunity to be Macho Man. Right. And someone else said that he he fell for the tricks of Randy Savage. Well, that's Mongo says that. Okay. That's because Mongo's <laughs> stupid. But, but they, <laughs> they, they, they just take the time when they're doing yeah. the recap where they're like, Scott Norton clearly lost this. Like, right. he deserved to lose pretty much. When it's like... And, it's, and he loses in comical villain fashion with a fat right. guy collapsing across his legs. Right. And so let's see who who's debuted tonight. Sabu, who won a match and then through his own stupidity lost the match. Yeah. VK Wall Street, who lost his match cleanly and easily to Sting. Mm-hmm. And Scott Norton, who lost his match in hilarious fashion <laughs> to Macho Man. So we've got three new or relatively new characters who all look like loser morons. Mm-hmm. And the Dungeon of Doom looks like a bunch of idiots because they came to interfere in a match, making it essentially five on one. Yep. And Macho Man still won. And the shark looked like a bumbling fool. Yeah. So this is the problem with WCW at this time. Nobody but the top faces, Macho Man and mainly Hogan, mm-hmm. but in this case, Macho Man, nobody but the top faces look like they have a fucking clue about what right. to do at any point. <laughs> right. Why would I buy a pay-per-view where Macho Man, Sting, Hogan, and potentially a fourth person are going to take on the Dungeon of Doom when I've been shown for months that the Dungeon of Doom are a bunch of idiots? Yeah. They're, they're not a real threat to anyone, mm-hmm. and they're, they're just stupid. Yeah. Why would I buy a pay-per-view to watch that? It makes It's really terrible booking. Well, they have the Dungeon of Doom come out, and they have to defeat, like, one guy. Right. And they can't do it. And then at War Games, it's going to be even numbers against... They're going to be facing four people that they couldn't beat right. individually. <laughs> right. So, there's, really, War Games is set up where it's like, you, you can't possibly think Dungeon of Doom's going to win that match. So um, just glancing at my notes, I just wanted to mention this, even though it's now too late technically, but I want to mention Scott Norton hits an amazing uh, top rope draping DDT, the like DDT that Randy Orton will do off the second rope oh, yeah. where the guy's legs are on the second rope. In this case, Macho Man's legs are on the top rope mm-hmm. and Norton DDTs him and it looks sick. It's yeah. really good. I was really, even though he looked like an idiot in the finish, mm-hmm. I was really into Scott Norton. I yeah. I liked him a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I really... Uh, I know, well, I, I'm really conflicted on the show because I don't want to spoil anything coming up, you know, but at the same time, I figure most people are like me and they have a rudimentary understanding of wrestling history. Yeah. So I know that he doesn't really ascend to main event status, as mm-hmm. you might say, but, uh, but I really hope that, that he is involved in some major angles because he could be, I, I honestly don't know. I really yeah. hope there's big things that, in store for Scott Norton. And, and what I was trying to mention before, as far as Scott Norton wanted to fight everyone, it's like after the match ended, he was surrounded by the Dungeon of Doom. Right. And he's just like ready to fight all of them at the same time. Well, those morons cost him his debut or his. Yeah. His no, he had here. plenty of reason to be mad. <laughs> it's just that <laughs> they just added more people that Scott Norton wants to fight. So, speaking of not making me really want to buy your pay per view, we get a promo at this point for Fall Brawl. Fall Brawl uh, is coming up next Sunday. We've now had two episodes of Nitro to promote it. Mm hmm. The only matches that have been mentioned on either episode of Nitro that we've watched so far have been the War Games match and Flair versus Arn Anderson. They have not promoted a single other match for this uh, pay-per-view. Now we get a, a promo just for the pay-per-view, and instead of hyping any match, they tell us that at the pay-per-view, Hogan 
uh, Macho Man, Sting, and Vader, because this is still this promo was made before Vader was on the outs. Right, are going to take on muscular dystrophy, mm-hmm. and they tell me to order the pay per view to help fight muscular dystrophy. They don't say how ordering the pay per view is going to help. They don't say who, what organization is getting the money. Mm-hmm. They don't mention any match that's going on in the show whatsoever. Instead of hyping the show, they seem to be like putting a bunch of sick kids on TV and telling me that if I order their products, somehow these kids are going to be okay. Yes, they're, they're guilt-tripping us. It's really gross. <laughs> and uh, in, the, in the Wrestling Observer newsletters at the time, Meltzer's really raking them over the coals for this. He's, he's really going on about how gross they are for doing it. And rightly so, because it's mm-hmm. really... I don't understand how this helps promote the event, and I don't understand... Because they never say how it helps actually further a good cause. Right. It's, it's really weird. But it's finally time for our main event, Hulk Hogan versus Lex Luger. They both come out to a good amount of pyro. Uh, I was going to say, since uh, I I didn't really say last week, and I know we weren't going to talk too much about music, but I really like American Made, Hogan's WCW theme. Yeah. As far as uh, just a ripoff theme goes, because it's essentially using the same kind of chord structure as Real American, his WWF theme, I think it's pretty good. Mm -hmm. And I like the beginning with the real slow, American Made. Yeah, it, it follows like the like the tenets for what's a good theme song for a wrestler in that it has like something immediately where you recognize who whose song it is. Yep. Um and 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 like because like with Randy Savage, they have like a knockoff. It just sounds like a knockoff of Yeah, uh, it's pomp and circumstance, but they do it with like electric guitars and I fucking hate it. It's mm-hmm. terrible. Yeah. It's really bad. Yeah, and considering like how big Hogan's name is and how big his theme song was, right? It it seems like it would have been the real WCW thing to have something to sound like just an awful ripoff. Mm-hmm. But they kind of like they just they put like new lyrics and they they add like new riffs and stuff like that. It did. It's an entirely new song and it sounds like a Hulk Hogan song. So this match really feels like a kind of condensed. Hogan pay-per-view match mm-hmm. where he gets in his offense at the beginning. Luger does a terrible job selling because Luger can't sell. Right. Um, then Luger uh, starts in with his offense and Hulk gets dominated for most of the match and he sells to, you know, get his heat and everything. Uh, finally, this kind of culminates in Luger getting Hulk up in the torture rack. And then it gets really confusing here because yeah. Randy Anderson, to my view, lifts Hulk Hogan's arm up more than three times where they do the thing where in a submission, this is before tapping out. They check to see if he's unconscious by lifting his arm. And if it drops three times, he's out, he loses. And I swear that he drops it more than three times. And Lex Luger thinks so too. Yeah. Cause he drops Hulk Hogan and starts acting like he won, mm-hmm. which uh, even though I agree with him, he looks really dumb for not waiting for the bell. Yeah. He just drops Hogan and is like, I won. And the referee says, no, you didn't. So I guess Hogan kept his arm up, or they're not counting it as three drops, maybe? Yeah, and initially when he got him up in the torture rack, it seemed like Nick Patrick was worried he was in a fall. I think it's Randy Anderson. Randy Anderson. Yeah, sorry. Um, And he almost looks like he grabs Hogan to keep him balanced. Like, the whole sequence of events is really confusing. You can tell with the announcers, they're not sure what's going on. And then... I th- and then like Heenan's like Luger won Luger definitely won right. I mean, which is like the Heenan thing to do anyway mm-hmm. but it's just the whole sequence of events is really confusing 
So at this point, Luger decides, well, okay, if I didn't win, I'm going to try to pin Hogan. Mm-hmm. And that's Hogan's time to hulk up, uh, hit the moves of doom, hit the leg drop. And right as he's about to get the pin, uh, which makes it clear that he would beat Lex, it, even though the match ends in a non-finish, he would have beat Lex. And that's right. the important thing to Hogan. Yep. But the Dungeon of Doom comes out again to attack these guys, bringing out Sting and Randy Savage to clear the ring of the Dungeon of Doom. And now we've got Hogan, Flair, uh, Hogan, Sting, Macho Man, and Lex all in the ring. We go to commercial. Coming back from commercial, we've got Mean Gene in there with them. And so once again, our show is going to end with its end segment being Mean Gene in the ring with these four, uh, well, three baby faces and Lex Luger, who's sort of uh, alignment has yet to be truly determined. Yeah. I'm going to play here a clip so our audience can hear a lot of this segment because it is enjoyable. Uh, It is a very stereotypical 90s wrestling promo with guys just shouting, just shouting every single thing they say to each other. So uh, please, listener, enjoy. All right, fans, it is erupted here in light of the decision just handed down by the referee for the second consecutive week on Monday Nitro. Again, Hulk Hogan, we have to sort some things out with Fall Brawl coming up this Sunday and War Games. You're short a man. I understand Vader does not qualify to be part of the Hulkamaniacs when you meet the Dungeon of Doom. Well, you know something, me, Gene? War Games is one week away. It's not bad enough that Vader has already gone AWOL. They've got an extra man on us, brother. It's three against four. Luger comes out here, get in my face two weeks in a row, gives me the run for my money, the match of my life, brother. Where are you coming from, Luger? How come they didn't lay their hands on you when they jumped on my back? Which side are you on, brother? I'd like to say double goes for me. I'm asking you also. Hey, 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 hey! Let's hear it, let's hear it. Where are you coming from, Luger? What about it? Well, hold on, man, just a minute! Just, wait a second, just look around here, look at this! Look at this right here, does this look like something big? Hey, come on, man! Vader's out of the picture! And it looks like the total package, come on! With all due respect, he gave even you a run for the money, Hulkster! To me, to me, this would be... This is the team, look! This is the deal. No, it's not the team. I'd rather go four versus three. Because if we win, we get the taskmaster. So, Dave, what did you think of, of that little exchange oh, there? Oh, my God. This is so... It's so rough. Yeah. It's... Uh, when i thinking of it, it's it's like watching four meatheads try to put a puzzle together. <laughs> it's just... That is an apt comparison. It's it, it, like... Sting right away makes yeah. it clear. Hey, there's four wrestlers in the ring. Right. We need four guys. Right. <laughs> and and I don't know if like Randy Savage is like he doubts that math. Yeah, and I or... think in the interest of time I I cut off the full clip. So just in case it wasn't clear from the part that's still in there, uh they end up voting the full team for war games will include Lex Luger. Yeah. With Sting Macho and Hogan to take on the Dungeon of Doom. But they uh, they their their method of like discussing it is yeah. just it, i was getting like a headache it Be- it really makes it clear uh why there is an argument for scripted promos right honestly like, yes. i know that nowadays it's very um in fashion to say these guys just need to be themselves and not be so scripted but when you see these guys just scrambling to make sure that they get their 
five minutes in Mm -hmm. when macho needlessly interjects and says i would also like to know the answer to that question right what the like then shut up and wait for the answer why would you need feel the need to say that yeah Uh, and also not not just the scripting but the blocking uh you and i are theater majors so that's probably a theater term right but they are standing in a huddle so Mm. that most of them so that most of what you see is just the backs of any two or three of them at a time yeah so they're facing the microphone in a circle and it's just it people always make fun of again modern wrestling for the way that people stand at these awkward angles and that Mm. can be improved to some degree yeah uh, in modern wrestling but you do have to what we say in theater you have to cheat out Mm-hmm. You have to present to the audience in a certain way. And these guys don't. And it looks like a clusterfuck. And they're all just yelling at each other. Yeah. It's a really awkward yeah, they, five minutes of television. They have to, you have to play to the camera, play to the television because they're on television. But they're clearly just acting as though they're in a legitimate arguing match with each other. Uh, you, they mentioned Jimmy Hart at one point, And I didn't realize he was there because he was like behind some guys. Right. And... I mean, there was one point where Macho Man almost made a valid statement where he mm. was, where he's like, I would rather uh, Luger not be on our team than, and, and take him on three on four than then have him stabbed possibly stabbing in the back. Right. But then he, it just trails off into like a jumble of words that just doesn't make any sense. So as we close the show, uh, WCW really shows their hand here. They are not a pay-per-view company. They are a television company. Because Bischoff does not use this time to plug the upcoming pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. He instead plugs the matches that are going to come up on Saturday night on TBS. So I thought that was just kind of interesting to note. This yeah. is this is the go-home show for a pay-per-view. And we've only heard mention, on the, at least on the two Nitros. And we're not watching Saturday night. We're just watching Nitro. Right. But on the two episodes we've watched leading into a pay-per-view, we've only heard two matches get promoted for the show. So that's kind of interesting to me. Uh, the show ends with Bobby Heenan yelling, they're going at it again, which we don't get to see because the show ends. So that makes two weeks in a row yeah. where Heenan has alluded to something the audience would like to see or that <laughs> potentially might happen, and then we, the audience, do not get to see whatever it is. It's, I just feel like, for him, that's like his own inside joke. <laughs> that could be. He just always wants to do that, just something to, to, uh, to troll, to troll the fans. In our Raw report this week, because as I mentioned last week, we're going to give you the results of Raw whenever these two shows go head-to-head. Razor Ramon beat Davey Boy Smith. The Smoking Guns defeated Rad Radford and the Brooklyn Brawler. Isaac Yankum defeated Scott Taylor. And the 1-2-3 Kid challenged Razor Ramon to a match uh, next week on Raw. And as mentioned by Eric Bischoff in that spoiler, HBK beat Sid Mm -hmm. to retain the Intercontinental title. And they did... Someone mentioned that that uh, Bischoff didn't mention Sid's name. Yeah, he calls him the big guy. Yeah, he I, says Sean beat the big guy with a kick that you couldn't get a green belt at at the local YMCA. Yeah, I just didn't know if that was if there was anything that was like, uh, um, why he wouldn't just say Sid. Yeah, because there it was is that, weird. I mean, I didn't know if there was like a lawsuit or anything in relation to that Sid R. Anderson incident. Mm. Yeah, I don't hotel know. Hotel room incident. I, it is. It's curious. In the ratings breakdown, in our first ever head-to-head matchup, Nitro is the clear winner with a 2.5 rating to Raw's 2.2. Wow. So their first head-to-head, and Nitro is the victor. Wow. Bischoff, Bischoff had to be excited uh, about those numbers, and and Vince. Uh, 
I don't think he's one to panic, but certainly I, I think he realizes that they're going to have to up their game to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he talks a little bit in the Monday Night War special about realizing that this, for the first time really, uh, since he had become a national brand, this is real competition. This right. is not this is not just the territory days. He actually has real competition now. Mm-hmm. So I, I also wanted to note of historical um, importance right now. So as I mentioned, it's September 11th, 95. Four days from now on September 15th, WCW would fire Steve Austin in Ooh. a moment that would really uh, come to shape the Monday Night Wars as we go through the following years. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was uh, particularly important to note that, that it, we are coming up on that anniversary. Okay. Um, now for this show... As far as match the show mm-hmm. is concerned, I, I not none of them really like stuck out as like really good matches. Yep. But I would I would say Alex Wright and Sabu okay probably had the best match, even though that one still had its flaws. But uh, I I th- it felt like the whole show was full of matches of with wrestlers that haven't faced each other very often. Yeah, I I found match of the night very difficult to choose as well. Um. I ended up going with Macho Man and Scott Norton. Uh, I hated the ending. The ending was really... I mean, yeah. I thought it was really funny. Yeah. But it's its not good to get anybody over. Right. Um, so, I mean, I loved and hated it. But I thought that it told a really good story with Macho Man's back being injured mm-hmm. and Norton being the new guy, but seeing that injury and really honing in on it. Yeah. Um, and for that reason also, Scott Norton is my MVP. Um, it's hard to be MVP when you look that stupid <laughs> in the end of your match. But... As stupid as he looked, he looked so tough in the beginning of the match that they could easily give him a four to five week win streak, and he could be uh, on top as as you know a big time uh, heel monster threat. I they could easily establish that and erase that bad booking decision. I, yeah. I think. Who's your MVP? And for my MVP, well, uh, before the show, I before I rewatched it, I was pretty sure it was gonna be Lex Luger remembering the show mm-hmm. but i forgot the fact that that before the interference hulk hogan made sure it was obvious that he was going to beat lex uger and he survived the torture rack so really like last week it ended up being with hulk hogan looking like the best so my nitro mvp this week again is it'll be hulk hogan all right well you heard it here on 20 years of nitro and we'll see you next week with the fallout from fall brawl He's